From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. No matter the sport, we often measure athletes and coaches by milestones. And for softball's Tim Walton, this week saw a big one added to his resume. On today's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter to discuss 1,000 wins for Walton, tough luck for baseball and Hunter Barco, Keontae Johnson's surprising entry to the transfer portal, the start of the repeat campaign for men's tennis, and memorable shocking moments in TV and movies in the PAT. Then, men's tennis mainstay and Portugal native Duarte Valle shares why he chose tennis over soccer, how he ended up so far from home, and the plan to bring another title to Gainesville. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan who loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where animal lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. Believe it or not, it is May. We are reaching the uh, the end of the athletic calendar, but there's still things to talk about, which is why we've convened FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry for our roundtable. And uh, guys, let, let's start with milestones. We love milestones in sports. We talk about them all the time. Uh, and it's really cool when one happens right here at home. Uh, Tim Walton, 1,000 career wins this past weekend at LSU. Um, but, you know, a, a really cool milestone because, you know, it, it's it's exciting when you get to like 100 of something or 200. But when you reach rarefied air that very few people have ever gotten to, that's when you sit back and you sort of admire the the scale of an accomplishment like that. Just uh, as long as we're on the subject of milestones, just think about this. Mary Wise had her 1,000th. Uh, victory in December. Uh, um, Brian Shelton had his 400th uh, match victory in uh, uh, January. Kevin O'Sullivan, I believe, had his 600th victory last month. And lo and behold, here comes uh, Tim Walton, uh, who has his 1,000. He did two coaches from the same uh, university get 1,000 wins. Um, Interesting thing about Tim Walton, Tim Walton is the second fastest to ever get to 1,000. So that's kind of saying something. And it's not like he doesn't have some other stuff that he can dangle on that resume either, starting with a bunch of SECs titles and two national championships. But uh, quite an achievement, been something of a struggle this season because the SEC is so brutal. Uh, it's far and away the best uh, league in the country this season. Um, uh, you know, you're dealing with Hannah Adams injury and what have you. And, to, and LSU has been a, a place that historically Florida, uh, you know, has had some trouble winning there, uh, as he as he alluded to. But uh, uh, they, they they get a huge win uh, in uh, to clinch the series on a home run by Cheyenne Lindsay in the in the in the top of the ninth inning. Um, Cheyenne Lindsay, a girl who had who'd come to bat, she had she'd been to play four times and struck out swinging four times, and then uh, you know ropes a home run um, in the in the ninth inning. Give Tim Walton his one thousand. He got on the airplane. Uh, I think he, some people may have seen some video on uh, social media. They had a crown made out of pretzels yeah. uh, to present to him as he got on. And they said, wear it as you walk down the aisle. And he's like, uh, hell no, he wasn't going to do that because he knew there'd be 
uh, uh, cameras filming that, but he did go back and, and take a seat and they did bring it to him and he did put it on and he did save it. It's at, it's at home or what have you, but uh, really good win. He talked a little bit this week um, heading before Florida played Florida state on the road Wednesday night. Um, he talked about, you know, his journey as it were, he got his first job in 1998 as an assistant to uh, Patty Gasso, the uh, just a fa- fabulous head coach there who I believe was just in her fourth or fifth season. Hadn't even won the first of her five national titles yet. Um, but he had played baseball there. had been a very good pitcher on national, on a national championship team there. And she gave him, you know, she gave him a job as a softball coach. And one of the things she did was give him a video. And the video was uh, uh, something that was made by the, uh, the legendary Arizona coach, uh, Mike Candrea. Ironically, Mike Candrea, the only person to get to 1,000 wins faster than Tim Walton. And it really wasn't just a, a, a how-to kind of thing, hitting, slapping, that kind of thing. And, um, but what Tim Walton did, he noticed on the box of the video was uh, Mike Candrea's office phone number at Arizona. He called him up. He called the number. The, the guy picked up the phone, and they talked, and they had a conversation. And um, he said he gave him some of the best advice. He says, he says – Train them and coach them like you do your baseball players, just like that. He goes, the other, the other stuff, the relationship piece, um, that's going to be a little different. And, but at that time, Patty Gasso was going to be the relationship person. It wasn't until he got the Wichita State job a few years later, his first head coaching job, um, in t- I believe it was 2003, that uh, he had to start you know, kind of figuring out how to, how to, how to deal with, you know, with young women. And obviously, he's, he was, he's been very good at it. This is his, uh, he got the Florida job in 2006, 123 wins at uh, Wichita State, I believe is the number, 877 at Florida, and probably a little, many, 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 many more to come. So he's number 45 right now on the all-time list, Like I, and I think I made the point, the second fastest to ever get there, the first fastest to get to 1,000 was Mike Andrea. So uh, some irony there uh, in this very uh, um, impressive success story. And kind of good, cool timing, considering Florida uh, heading into the postseason, and it, a postseason that 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 could be very wide open. It could be a postseason where the Gators, if they're going to get to Oklahoma City again, will, may have to do it uh, on the super regional field uh, at another venue. They have a couple doubleheaders this weekend uh, on on Friday and Saturday. Excuse me, Mercer and Florida Gulf Coast, kind of like a uh, a warm up to the um, to the SEC tournament coming to KSP uh, next week. Obviously, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, no question. And it's always interesting the way the timing of it works. As softball is about to enter the postseason, that's when baseball is sort of hitting that home stretch and the final turn, if you will, toward their postseason. Uh, And Scott, uh, it's obviously been a very difficult season for baseball, especially in the SEC. And at some point, you just wonder if if it's just not meant to be with the news that, that Hunter Barco has to have Tommy John surgery. I mean, that's just, that's a huge blow. It was the best thing Florida had going this year was Hunter Barco. And then Kevin O'Sullivan's team loses that. So while while they did take two or three this past weekend from Kentucky, which was important, they're still in a, in a bit of a precarious position right now. One made more difficult by that news. Yeah, Adam, I'm sure Yogi Bear once had a really good quote to some what the Gators have done this year. I just can't remember a good one right now. But, uh, yeah, it's been one of those years, man. I mean, uh, you know, there's, you look at them on paper, they're 26 and 18. They're still, you know, going to have a winning season barring our total collapse, uh, but not 
necessarily a Florida season. They're eight and thirteen in the SEC with you know nine regular season SEC games left. Uh, it, the, the schedule should get a little easier for them here down the stretch. Uh, but again, they've got the work cut out to improve their seating in the in the tournament. They would be in the SEC tournament if it started today, but they're not going to go up to Hoover as one of the uh, favorites or the top seeds. They're going to have to uh, you know do anything up there. They'd have to play pretty much I think what five five days in a row or five out of six, whatever that thing is. It's a it's a long week for them. But um, the Barco news, man, that that's the toughest one yet. I mean, this is a you know when you look at what Florida had going into this year the one thing you knew uh the gators were going to be good on that was friday night they always had a chance with with hunter out there on the mound and uh you know he 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 started off great was having a great season but you know april 15th at vanderbilt uh left the game after a couple innings hasn't pitched in and obviously dropped the news last night that he or dropped the news this week that he was going to uh, undergo tommy john surgery on wednesday and not only is he out for the rest of the year, but he's going to be out for uh, probably a year. It's going to take him some time, and it just comes at a really difficult time for him because you know he he was being projected as a possible first round draft pick, and and now you don't only look at it from the standpoint of what does this mean for his Gators career, what does it mean for his career? I mean, Tommy John surgery is not what it once was. I mean, you see guys have this surgery and come back all the time and be better. It's just that what an unfortunate timing for a uh, Hunter Barco. And, uh, but yet, there's still a team. You've seen this in recent years. Some guys have this surgery uh, and they still get drafted, uh, maybe not quite as high as where they would have, but teams really like their, uh, their talent enough to still draft them, get them in their system, and let them rehab as part of their organization. So, uh, where he goes, how that plays out for him. We don't know yet. Is his Florida career done? Seems likely, but it's not guaranteed. A lot depends on, you know, where he goes in the draft and uh, how, wherever he does, what impact that has on his long-term thinking. But uh, now it's just a matter of who who's going to step up. Nobody's going to replace him. So they got Brandon Sprout and Brandon Neely, kind of like the Friday and Saturday guys right now. Who, who knows uh, what's going to happen to him on Sunday, but they're going to have to have somebody step up and and at least pitch well enough to give uh, the Gators a chance because their offense is good enough at them, but their pitching, you know, has been kind of suspect all year. And then when you lose Hunter Barco, it gets a lot more suspect. Yeah, tough break. No question about it. Uh, but they're, they're still battling. I want to turn our attention to basketball and talk about what else, guys, the transfer portal. The transfer portal is the new quarterback controversy. It's the thing that just comes up all the time, no matter what. Um, and Chris, we, we thought, I mean, there's nothing that's really changed with the team that we knew was going to be there for Florida um, after some questions of if certain guys were going in, going out. Uh, but some news that I think surprised people over the course of the last week was the uh, Keontae Johnson entering the transfer portal. Now, we knew his Florida career was over and he had that really nice send off on senior day. He got to, you know, be a ceremonial starter, kiss the court, got the standing ovation. Um, and, and we didn't really know what was going to happen next. We knew it didn't have anything to do with, you know, what the Gators were going to be doing. And this news that he's transferring opens up a lot of questions. I think the primary one is, will he find a school that will medically clear him to play? And, and what are the ramifications for that, especially as it relates to the insurance policy? I and mean, there's a lot of things going into this, much more than just, hey, I want to play. 
Without getting in the weeds on this, the, the, I believe the insurance policy has some wiggle room relative to uh, letting him run her out a little bit and see what he can, what he can do. Okay. Um, uh, but I mean, it, once, once he goes full bore into playing that, 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 uh, that, that insurance policy goes uh, by the wayside. So, you know, he has a decision to make. I mean, he, and this is something, obviously it's very, very personal within the family. And, um, you know, uh, there have been times where I thought, I mean, I'm trying to think uh, uh, when he did his first interview with me well over a year ago, I want to say it was February of 2021. And his goal at the time was he wanted to play again. Um, you know, and then over the course of the, that's what, what, 15 months ago, you know, I, I heard he'd gone the other direction and the, the family, you know, this or that, or the other. you just hear different things, but okay. You duck your head in the transfer portal and maybe see what kind of opportunities come up. I, I like I said, I, I, you, you could probably guess that, you know, you could probably assume with Florida that he was not going to play here for any, for on any number of reasons. And you mentioned people clearing people. So, or doctors clearing him, um, I just got to think if, if there is a doctor out there that'll clear him, uh, that school is going to have to, is going to have to have him sign a bunch of waivers and stuff like that. And there's, there's just, there's so many possibilities of things that could, that could, you know, I, and I hate to say to, to, to go wrong. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, 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 I want the best for the guy. I really, really like Keontae Johnson, uh, his, his family, you know, has been so strong throughout this whole thing, and I've known them and then dealt with them for the last few years. But uh, it's a, it's a big decision, man. And you know, I have a hard time believing Mike White. You know, had to deal with Keontae Johnson here. He's not going to Georgia. I mean, uh, no one's told me that. I'm just going to assume that you know, Mike White said, "I love you, but you know, I, I care more about you." I, I haven't haven't been around Mike during this thing. That's kind of what I would think. But. Uh, Somewhere, somebody, you know, he's going to duck his head in and they're going to someone say, yeah, you know, maybe we'll give Keontae Johnson a try. And, you know, with that comes other stuff. Again, I just I want I want the best for him. Uh, if he goes off and plays and, and plays his ass off, that would be fantastic. I just want him to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And because uh, because I hadn't been through anything like that before. No one on this campus had uh, had been through anything like that in a long, long time. I know the people who invested a lot of time in Keontae's rehab and what have you. And I, I know what they put into that. I know what he put into it. I know the angst and everything that, that, that came with that from his team and the coaches and his teammates and all that stuff. So, you know, wish him the best. Uh, was it a little, was it surprising? Yes and no. Um, because I mean, my gosh, he's, he's 23 years old. And I remember what I felt like when I was 23 years old. So I'll have my fingers crossed and, and hopefully be able to cheer Keontae Johnson playing basketball one day. I don't think there's any question that we all want the best for Keontae Johnson and whatever that is, we'll certainly all be rooting for him uh, with his next steps. Uh, I want to talk about some championship aspirations that are getting underway this weekend. That is men's tennis in particular. Um, We talked about the fact they went undefeated through the SEC. They rolled through the tournament. They have been on an incredible run this year, even with that that number one ranking, kind of that target on their backs. And that's something we talked about with Duarte Valle coming up uh, after you listen to this. But uh, yeah, this is a, this is when it all starts. It's a chance for them to go back to back. And it seems they have the confidence and the wherewithal to, to try to make that happen. And yeah, we used to have this conversation annually about the women. Uh, mm-hmm. Now we have it about the men right now. Um, defending national champions, 
They have the number one player in the country in Ben Shelton, maybe the best coach in the country in Brian Shelton, given, you know, what the circumstances he inherited when he got here and what he's been able to build. It just, it just, he just signed a, a player from Thailand. I was in his office yesterday uh, talking about it, and, and uh, I, I, I can't wait to see this guy play. If he, the way he was describing this unique style of play that this, that this kid has, I think he's a, a top five uh, international junior uh, right now. But yeah, I, I, this is a better team than it was last year, the team that won the national championship that beat Baylor in the final. Uh, they're not the number one seed in the tournament for some reason. Uh, TCU is TCU beat Florida in the season opening match um, in Fort Worth. Lots happened since then. I don't know how that all that works. It's all point system or whatever. But TCU has lost twice to Baylor this season. They got four losses. Florida only has two. They've won 18 matches in a row. Hmm. One of the reasons they've won 18 matches in a row is because they've won 18 double points in a row. When you're up one nothing going into singles and you have the deepest singles uh, 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 team in the country, that's a hell of a, a hole for opponents to have to dig out of. They're healthy now. Uh, a couple weeks ago when they wrapped up an undefeated SEC season, uh, that wasn't the case. Uh, Matias, hope I'm saying this right, Seymour, the transfer, the grad transfer from uh, Michigan, uh, they wedged him into the, num- to the number five spot at singles, which pushed uh, jo- Josh Gouger down to number six. Josh, Josh Gouger, if you remember last year, was undefeated for this team. Now he's playing number six. Okay. So, wow. uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And you talked to Duarte Valley, who last year was number one. He's playing number three now. And you know, who number two is the defending NCAA singles champion. Ben Shelton is number one right now. And he's the number one player in the country and one of the best uh, uh, young players in the world. So, this is a really, really good tennis team. Um, Brian Shelton came right out and said, Yeah, this is a better team than last year. But that doesn't mean, you know, that we're going to hold the trophy up again. Uh, it certainly means that they're, they're, they're poised to do so. Um, they got a, they, I think four five and six singles are all fifth year seniors. So, um, that's, this is, this is, uh, uh, they got a chance to do something really, really special. And, uh, beyond that, I think they understand that. And I think it means a lot to them. And, and I think, uh, Ben or excuse me, Brian Shelton told me after <clears throat> when they won the, uh, SEC championship in the, in the tournament up in, um, up in Georgia a couple weeks ago, you know, they did their celebrating and their water dumping and all that stuff. And in the locker room, Duarte Valley goes, all right, it's great, but we got a lot more to do. And Brian Shelton loved that. He loved a fifth, a fifth year senior stepping forward and, and saying something like that to kind of center everybody and say, okay, we have our moment now. Let's get on the bus, get home. And it starts all over. We haven't done anything. The postseason is an altogether new season. And that's all this weekend um, at home. They'll have, a, excuse me, New Orleans. <laughs> New Orleans is in the NCAA tournament for the first time, and they get the, the defending national champion as their, uh, as their reward. Then it's either uh, USF or Miami in the second round. And now we're, and we're back to, uh, because of the COVID situation last two years, they're back to super regionals being on campus. That was something that was new a few years ago. Uh, they went back to the old way. It used to be the, the Sweet 16 and on. Now it's the uh, final eight teams will go to the NCAA tournament site, which is the um, which will be Champaign, Illinois this year. Uh, so I, Florida, as long as they win, uh, they'll have at least uh, three more matches um, on their home court. We will definitely be looking at men's tennis over the weekend and uh, assume hopefully next week we're talking about the next stage of the tournament for them. I want to move on to our PAT now, and it's not about uh, it's, it's about journeys coming to an end. It's about finales. It's about, and don't worry, I'm not going to spoil anything. Ozark had a very shocking ending 
which is what I think most people expect to be. You're always wondering, okay, is someone big going to die? What's going to happen? And it got me thinking as I was stewing in the aftermath of it, of some of the great shocks moments that, uh, that, that stay with you. It doesn't have to be from a TV show. It could be at the end of a movie. It could be anything when you think about something you've watched in your life that just left you like, gosh, I did not see that coming. Okay. So I was 19 years old. Okay. When I went to the KB cinema <laughs> theater in Washington, DC to see alien. Mm. And I can tell you, I had never seen a thing come out of somebody's chest before. And, and to me, that was just so shocking of a thing. And yet so pretty, pretty brilliant, you know, kind of, I, 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 I would say just the, the, in terms of shock value and what that did. And uh, I remember the, the, the catchphrase for alien was in space. No one can hear you scream. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the, uh, one of the best horror movies and yet a, a classic sci-fi film as well. But in terms of, of pure shock value, a scene like that, that happens, you know, what in the first quarter of the film, you know, like God, what what else is this uh, uh, movie going to have that's going right. to do that to, to me like that? Um, but I mean, it, it, in terms of, of of pure scene, I just remember that being so shocking. In terms of me, in terms of you talk about endings, um, the best ending I've seen, I think, in the last twenty five years of something, something that was uh, clever. What's the end of Six Sense? I said it's got to be Six Sense. I was thinking, I was like, I hope he says Six Sense. I, I did not, I did not figure that out. When that dolly and zoom out kind of thing is is going on, and you see what he's saying, and you figure it out just before they tell you what this is, you don't tell you. You you realize, oh, geez, for for M Night, that's that was his he he careered there because every movie since then has been has, has just gone totally downhill. Okay, yeah. but. Everyone that the expect he he like set the bar so high for himself there was no way he was gonna but no. he's not he's not only not reached the bar he hasn't come close to it because like I said everyone has has been worse than the one before that but uh, that's that is a fantastic film uh, and and again of the last twenty five years I'm I'm sure there are others but to me that was uh, that was a brilliant end to it to a, a fantastic film man Chris gave a great shocking moment. And a great shocking conclusion. That is a high bar that's been set for you, Scott. That is a high bar. And I've never been great at remembering like movie lines and stuff. I watch a movie for the story, but one that does stick out to me. And I I was in Chris's old neck of the woods when I saw this movie for the first time. I still remember it. I was in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, 1991. And I was watching the movie Silence of the Lambs with a couple of uh, buddies who were up there with me. And, you know, obviously a great movie from start to finish, if that's your kind of thing. I mean, I, it still ranks in my top 10 or 15 movies I've ever watched and remember from the first time I watched it. But the ending was beautiful. Remember, you guys remember what he said? I'm having an old friend for dinner. <laughs> still, I think that might be the best ending line. <laughs> I've ever I've ever read or heard. I just remember, you know, having an old friend for dinner. I mean, that was the that was the ending of all endings. And of course, it happened happened a long time ago. So, but I don't think in the thirty years since it's been topped in my book. And she's like, Doctor Lecter, Doctor Lecter, Doctor Lecter. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Doctor Lecter, and the phone is just swinging as he's walking. As he's walking yeah. away, right? It's great. Yeah, that, no. it wouldn't even, and that wouldn't even work today because a cell phone can't swing on a cord, so <laughs> right. can't even right. can't even recreate that. Yeah, but that's one of those I still still remember watching. I still remember like us talking about it after the movie ended, and like you know, just like um, I think I watched it probably. I went back to see it at least a couple more times that summer, taking different people because I thought it was such a great movie. And it's obviously stood up to the test of time. I think if you if you introduce someone to that movie today, they could still enjoy it, you know, in the same way uh, I did back then. Although, obviously, like you guys just mentioned, the cordless phone, they would have a little time getting their their head around that. But just a great, suspenseful, uh, well-written and perfect ending uh, for a movie. And I, I think just to, to put a capper on it, one of the things that makes endings that are shocking so great as if you don't see it coming which is part of why the sixth sense worked so well because no one knew who m night Shyamalan was there was no expectation that there would be a huge twist hence the shock once you establish that as your mo then every time people are constantly looking for what the twist is going to be and it significantly dulls the effect so I think that's one thing that, that worked in, in, the, in favor of The Sixth Sense that works against a lot of others where you're expecting it. And just to throw another one out there I mentioned earlier, um, The Usual Suspects, one of the great endings of all time. And okay, fine, I won't spoil it. But when it reveals who Kaiser Soze is at the very end, the shot of the feet, and then you see the feet change on a limp. dime. Stop it. Yes. I'm, well, now you're giving things away. Um the limp stops for somebody who has a limp and suddenly they're in stride and you realize, oh man, everything I thought I knew was all wrong. Here's a trivia question with regards to the usual suspects directed by Brian Singer. ESPN hired Brian Singer to make a, uh, a commercial that back then, uh, back in the nineties, they had a campaign for everyone's watching ESPN. I think they said, and they would have the different things and they at dirty Nellie's down here in Gainesville. So they filmed this commercial in there, and it started on the uh, it started on a bar, and the bar this camera just walks down, walks down, and people are staring up at the camera like this, you know. And the camera pans, and it's Spurrier sitting at the bar, staring up at the camera, right? And and, and that's all what that's all the commercial was. And you know, Brian Singer had it in there, and he's like all his time, like he's you know he's got all these angles and lighting and everything. And Spurrier's like, "Hey, Brian, when we wrapping this up?" <laughs> 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 gotta be on the first team if you come on brian what do we got brian <laughs> man there's just there's literally there is no story that can't become a steve spurrier story it's crazy there's every every story has got a steve spurrier angle well there's, there's nothing too shocking about the endings to our round tables they always end the same way i will remind everybody to check out floridagators.com for all the latest content from Chris and Scott, and also tell you to follow him on Twitter at Gators Scott at Gators Chris. Still a lot going on. Baseball, softball, tennis. We just talked about all of it and maybe some more basketball news. You never know when the transfer portal is going to fire up. So stay locked in and uh, we look forward to talking to you guys next week. All right. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. We often use the refrain that Gator Nation is everywhere. And one of our goals on this podcast is to bring you stories that prove that point time and time again. With the latest example, checking a new country off our list. Men's tennis stalwart and fifth-year senior Duarte Valle is coming to the end of an outstanding career, but the start of his tale takes us all the way to Portugal. I grew up in Portugal in a small town outside of Lisbon called Cascais. 
um, my whole family is still still there. Uh, both my parents are uh, lawyers in Portugal, and I have three siblings, which all live in Portugal. And uh, yeah, uh, I was the one to 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 get away from them <laughs> a little bit. Were sports a big part of your family? Did your siblings play any sports? Your parents? What was the background like when it comes to that? Yeah, so my brother uh, actually played tennis and soccer. And so I played both sports as well because, you know, I kind of wanted to be like him. And so I got into the same things. And uh, I, I love both sports equally. But I just happened to be a little bit better at tennis. And then so... Uh, I liked winning from a young age, so uh, I decided to uh, focus more time on on practicing tennis and, and tournaments and stuff. So where where did tennis come from for him? Was that something that, that your parents were into and that's why he got started playing? Like, where did tennis come into this whole picture? I think it was because just the proximity. We had courts really close to our house, and so that made it kind of more of an obvious choice and then also it's a pretty big sport in in portugal uh i'd say bigger than here in the u.s most kids play play soccer for sure and then tennis is uh, maybe second or third on the list of of popularity and uh, so those two factors combined you know just having courts close to your house and then just the fact that it's you know a lot of people play it hmm. You know, it's funny, when I was thinking about Portugal, uh, my first thought was soccer and Ronaldo. Um, yeah. So are, are there are there Portuguese tennis heroes similar to Ronaldo? I mean, I'm sure Ronaldo is on his own level, um, yeah. but like, what, what role does tennis play there in, in the culture? Uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't say there's somebody on a close level to Ronaldo because <laughs> just, you know, he's for our country you know, we're 10 million people and to have somebody like him represent us on such a global scale, is something uh, surreal. So he's really loved and adored there. Uh, but we do have, you know, some, uh, we have a tennis player who made it to 28 in the world. And, you know, a lot of people, he's pretty, pretty famous in the country, I would say, but not, uh, not somebody like, like Ronaldo, but I think, you know, people are interested in, in the sport of tennis. We have a, a professional tournament, in Lisbon actually going on this week. So, you know, there's there's investment by the, the government and in the sport. And, you know, it's a it's a pretty big sport, I would say, within within Portugal. Hmm. So once you started playing, at what point did it become serious? You know, when did you say, oh, this is something I could really pursue this and, you know, open up a lot of different avenues for my future using tennis as the, the avenue to do that? You know, I, I honestly cannot remember a time where where it wasn't serious for me. And looking back, it probably shouldn't have been that way. Uh, it probably would have been healthier if it was another <laughs> way. But I think due to never from my parents or anything, but due to my competitive nature and just I've always wanted to be the best at what I do. And so at, at 12 years old, I had no idea, but I, I would tell myself that I was the best in the world at that age, which is obviously, uh, which at the time was not true, obviously. <laughs> um, but, you know, that was my mindset. And so it was always serious for me. And I always wanted to win every match that I played. So, you know, I practiced really hard and 
I always try to get better. Um, but once I, I kind of realized that, that I could do something or tennis could help me in my future, it was like around that age, I'd say 12, because I was the best in, in my country. And um, I was like, okay. And then I started playing some tournaments around Europe with some of the best in Europe and I could play with them and, and win some matches. So I was, I was like, if I keep working hard, this could take me somewhere. One of the things I always am curious to find out from international athletes is how the path led to competing collegiately. Because I know in a lot of countries, you know, playing collegiate tennis is just not a thing. The university system is different. Uh, athletics don't play as big a role as they do here. So when you got to the point where you were talking about where you knew this was something you really wanted to pursue, um, what options were there locally to do that? And how did coming to the U.S. kind of work its way into that conversation? You, you're, you're absolutely right when you say that, you know, in Europe and South America, tennis players usually opt to just go straight professionally, mostly because, in my opinion, there's not enough awareness to the opportunity that, you know, college sports, college tennis uh, is. So myself included, until I was about 16, almost 17 years old, I... I was in my mind, I was I'm, at 18, I finished high school. I'm going to start playing professional tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what kind of changed that was that around 16, I was offered the opportunity to go to IMG Academy in, in Sarasota and start doing like training blocks there. Uh, so I would go for like three months or, you know, I'll train there for a few weeks, then play some tournaments, then go back there and train Obviously, there a lot of people, a lot of students there are going to college, guys that are, you know, ridiculous level and they're going to college. And one of the coaches, I remember that one of my coaches, like, you should really look into like college tennis and the opportunity to play there. And I was like, in my head, I was like, no chance. And <laughs> I'm not going to school. <laughs> and slowly, you know, you're surrounded by these great players and you're like, okay, this guy's going to college. And at first, you you think it's like I thought it was weird like why is this guy just not going pro he obviously Mm -hmm. has level and started learning more about it and getting more and more interested and realizing what an amazing opportunity it was until you know I got to the point where I was like no I need to do this you know this is the best uh, path for me right now so that's kind of how it all went down for me. When did Florida come into play? Obviously, you were in Florida. I guess it, it probably didn't hurt that it wasn't too far away from IMG. Um, but what, what, was the, what was the pitch like? What made you want to be a Gator? Andy, who's also on the team now, he was at IMG as well. He's one of my best friends. And uh, so I used to train with him. And I didn't know too much uh, about, you know, universities academically and athletically. So I was trying to get educated on that level before I made a decision and then Andy was coming in the same year as me and I was obviously really close with with him and he was talking to Florida and uh, I was talking to some other schools and I told him you know (laughs) that obviously it would be cool if we went to the same place and then we kind of so that's how I kind of heard about Florida and then Tanner the the associate head coach now reached out to me and we started talking I came on a visit and the more I the more I learned about the school the more you know, I thought that this was the place for me, you know, great academics, great athletics. I met the coaches and I absolutely love them. Uh, I'm, you know, I came and visited the school and everything about it. 
kind of felt right for me, you know, and then Andy ended up committing as well. So uh, it was like, everything sounds great. I'm going with one of my best friends and, you know, just blessed to have that opportunity. How difficult was it to make that decision anywhere you went, knowing that that would mean at least four, in this case, now five years away from all of your family? I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, you don't have anybody over here in terms of family. So how did you, how difficult was it to make that commitment knowing, you know, what you were leaving behind? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was obviously difficult. Luckily for me, I was a little bit more used to it because of the extensive time I spent at IMG. Um, but to that point, a school in California would be, you know, way harder uh, to deal with that because now you're like nine hours uh, time difference from your family. If they come to visit you, you know, it's way more of a grind or for me to go back home is way more of a grind. Um, so definitely staying in the East coast helped a little bit with that, even if obviously still a long ways away, but they were really supporting and we call all the time and, you know, um, we're just all excited for the opportunity. So that, that helped a little bit. And then obviously they made, um, they make a tremendous effort to come here every chance they get. So I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. How often do you get to see him? I usually saw them. So I uh, would go back in the summer, would see him over Christmas. So I would go the fall semester without seeing them. And then they would come once in the spring and I would see him. So see him then once in the spring, like probably around February or March, and then see him again in the summer. Uh, so like three or four times a year, not too bad. That's not terrible. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And the longest I've gone, though, was during COVID. I stayed probably like 11 months without seeing them, which is really hard. I spent Christmas with uh, uh, Josh Gujer from who he's from uh, the UK. And mm -hmm. I spent Christmas here with them. We actually ended up going to Tanner's Tanner's house <laughs> and having Christmas dinner there. <laughs> So that was that was a different experience the first time I spent Christmas away from home. Family is the obvious answer to this. So I'll take that answer off the board for you. If that if it's not family, what do you miss most from back home? Um I mean the food, I miss the food a lot. Uh you know, I love the I love the food here as well and I'm used to it and it's accustomed to it, but the food home is amazing and all the seafood and stuff. I really miss that. And then Back where I live, I'm really close to the beach. So here in Gainesville, I don't I don't get to go to the beach often, and it's something I love. So those two things are are two big ones for me. And then I would say it's a completely completely different uh, vibe, and you know the culture and stuff from everything. You know the time you eat, like you know the what's on TV. You know every there you turn on TV, everybody's talking about soccer. Here, you know it's <laughs> NBA, NFL which I also I love and obviously I've you know <laughs> been here a long time right uh but it's just like when you're there I feel like when I'm there I feel like I'm in a completely different world and sometimes uh I miss that feeling you know of like my dad he always brings a sports newspaper home so like when I'm home I'm always reading the sports newspaper and I feel like I'm just in a different living a different life and sometimes you know it's <laughs> I miss that I guess thinking back to when you first came here, I'm sure now a lot of it is, is just sort of second nature. But what were some of the biggest adjustments you had to make when you came to the States when it comes to change in lifestyle, culture, et cetera? One of the bigger ones, I feel like eating times in general, the the schedule, very different from what I, what I was used to, you know, just practice 
a lot earlier and you know all the meals are a lot earlier like <laughs> probably eating lunch here before <laughs> i ate breakfast in portugal <laughs> um and the actual food was was very different and then just you know the way people interact with each other and you address certain people and the, the just the relationships sometimes are different you know how you get to know each other and stuff and that was a big adjustment you know when I first got here mm -hmm. I was calling coach Shelton by his first name just because it was like <laughs> you know that quickly changed to just call him now I've always call him coach you know uh, but you know realizing little things like that the difference in, in uh, culture was was big for me hmm. Um, which parts of, of American culture do you like the most? So if you were to leave tomorrow and never come back, what are things you really enjoy about being here? Um, I mean, I, I actually, I love being here. You know, I could see myself live here and I might, I hope, hope you know, that's the, that plan for a few years. And, um, but I love the mentality. And every time when I'm here, I feel like I can do anything. You know, I never, I feel like opportunities are always around the corner, you know, and anything can happen at any given moment. You can meet somebody, you know, and life changes and you just have access to so many things. So I love that. And then I just met so many great people here. It feels like home to me. You know, I obviously have a bunch of friends, you know, a lot of my best friends are here, mentors and, and the, girlfriend so i love the people and i love you know the country and the go get it mentality so as we talk here today you are coming toward the end of your your very long and storied career as a gator when you think back on it what memories stand out the most what memories stand out the most obviously national championship um the first sec championship and you know i had my freshman year really stands out to me because it was uh, really not what I was expecting it or hoping it to be because I ended up uh, underachieving a lot. So, but that, I think that that helped me so much. And it's something that I'm really proud of, you know, looking back on like the way I bounced back from that. So that's pers a personal memory that, you know, I'll always remember as something, you know, to remind me of what I can overcome, but yeah, collectively, obviously national championship, uh, uh, SEC, the first one was really, really, really special. And then now we just won the tournament for the first time in my career. Uh, so that was really cool as well. Most importantly, I think just the, the grind in general, the daily daily work is something that I'll never forget, you know, just going to work with my, with my brothers. Hmm. Uh, you've had a chance to play in tournaments all over the world, especially in juniors when I was looking at, uh, at some of your, your records. What are your favorite venues to play at? Uh, I love going to playing the U.S. Open in New York. That was probably my favorite tournament. I love going to Australia and uh, Mexico and Brazil. Those were probably my favorite tournaments to play in. Then there was, I mean, I was so lucky to, to get to play all those tournaments. But <laughs> I always love going to Italy as well. Every tournament was great, really. But those probably were, were my favorites. Hmm. Where are some places, obviously tennis has taken you all over the world. Uh, are there any places you haven't been yet that you hope tennis will take you one day? Uh, you know, I've never been to Asia yet. And, you know, I would, I would love to go there. And uh, New Zealand, I've never gone. And, uh, you know, I've heard here it's beautiful. And 
I would love to go play tournaments there and, and see how it is. So if anyone's listening from those countries, yeah. <laughs> Duarte wants to play in your tournaments, please invite yeah. him. Um, so you, you mentioned a second ago the year that, that this team has had uh, going undefeated in the SEC and then sweeping through the tournament. Um, no one beat you in the SEC. No matter where you, whether it was regular season tournament, no one's beaten you. And yet you had this target on your backs all year as the defending national champions. How do you think the team pulled that off? How difficult was that mentally when you know that everybody has that extra juice when they're, when they're competing against you? Yeah, I think, you know, it's extremely difficult. Um, like you said, you know, everybody's going to play their best against you. Nobody's going to be like, ah, really don't, you know, don't feel like it today. Um, so, you know, everybody's going to bring the most energy, the best, the, their A game. But at the same time, you know, in my head, they're doing that because they think we're better than them. Showing them that, you know, walking in like we're hunting them and not like we're there to uh, to protect ourselves or to defend anything. It's like you think you're coming after us. No, we're going to come after you. Having that the mentality that we're going to punch first and <laughs> not let not, not not let go and just you know it takes really good preparation week to week. Uh, you can't fall into the trap of like you get a few wins in a row and then you expect to win and you you fail to prepare the right way. It's like no, you get a win and then right back you're like okay, let's prepare the best way we can so we don't get surprised next week and we don't get surprised next match. Uh, so it really takes you can't let you can't let up because. If you do, the other team is going to be there to take advantage of it. So that, that you know, in the past, I felt like maybe there was a couple, one or two matches this season where we'd get away with not being at our, our, our sharpest competitively. Uh, but this time I felt like, you know, we had to be there every single time or else the other team was going to take advantage of it. You mentioned a moment ago that the preparation that goes into staying at this incredibly high level. Um, but when you do check out, when you have some time off, what do you enjoy doing outside of tennis? I mean, I love to hang out with, with the guys. You know, we're, usually when we do have some time off, we're, we're very tired. Uh, so <laughs> physical, physical activity kind of goes out the window. Uh, we usually either go to the pool or um, just hang out at somebody's house and, you know, kick back and watch something on the TV, go to the movies, stuff like that, stuff that doesn't involve a lot of, uh, a lot of um, effort, um, but just we love hanging. So there's not really one activity that I can think of, but just kind of just chilling. The most frequent answer I get from athletes to that question is sleep. My favorite thing to do when I don't have to do anything for school or for my sport is I love to sleep. Yeah, we have a guy, Josh, Josh Gujer, who like if he's not doing something uh, that mandatory, he's sleeping. So that, that would be his answer for sure. <laughs> I th- you know, we, we talked to Josh last year. I think he may have he may have given the uh, the most sleep focused answer uh, to that question. So yeah. given given what you just said, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. We'll have to go. We'll go back and yeah. check the tape. <laughs> Um, final question for you. This is a tough one. I know, um, because there's still, you still have some runway, obviously in this season, you're trying to win national championship again, but once that comes to an end, uh, in, you know, a month, six weeks time, what do you do next? What are the plans for when this ride is over? Yeah, there's not a lot of downtime. Uh, I think right after planning to go to Ecuador to play, uh, three professional permits there, I think Andy's going to, I'm going to go with Andy start trying to build up the ranking and then 
I'm still trying to finalize my schedule for the entire summer. And uh, so we'll be playing a lot of tournaments. Hopefully we'll be able to get some time at home as well in between those tournaments uh, so I can see my family and, you know, kind of chill for a little bit and practice there. Uh, but yeah, it's just right back, right back to it, right back to the grind. The grind never stops, but uh, we are thankful that you let it stop for about 30 minutes so we could talk to you today and, and hear more of your story. So thank you so much, Duarte, and good luck to you the rest of the way. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.